This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. I've received a few emails asking about the new opening music to Talking Flutes Extra Pods for the autumn, which is, you all know this theme tune anyway, it's the Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini and arranged by Barry Griffiths, aka at Grizzly Flute on social media. Check him out for the arrangement. This week... I'm joined by Katrina Ryan, section leader. Section leader, I've never actually heard of it called section leader, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> section, section leader of the RTE National Symphony Orchestra in Dublin, which we all know is the beautiful country of Ireland. A skilled flute player who loves opportunities to take part in chamber music, recitals, masterclasses, teaching, coaching, recording, and actually anything to do with the flute. She also hosts regular pre-concert talks for the RTE National Symphony Orchestra season concerts. And I've listened in to a couple of those and she's very good. So this is London Calling. London Calling. Good morning, Katrina. Good morning. Greetings from Dublin. I sound amazing. I want to meet myself. (laughs) I'm a hard act to follow. (laughs) No, you are very engaging when you do those pre-concert talks. Oh, dear. Sometimes they're terrifying. I mean, I've done I've done a couple now. Have I done two or three with Jaime Martin? Yeah. So, first of all, having to work with him is really daunting. He's he's our our new principal conductor, and having such an amazing flute player being your principal conductor is not ideal, as all the flute players can <laughs> can I'm sure empathise with. <laughs> yeah. You're playing but... away in your cadenza and your solo, and you can see his face thinking, "That's not what I would do. I would do something entirely different." But. But, but, you know, but Haim is the big romancer. I mean, what that guy can do with the flute. I know, I know. And, and as a conductor as well. So, I mean, increasingly, I'm sure more and more flute players will work with him as a conductor. He's, he's just great. And, and he has this fantastic approach because he understands what it's like to be in the orchestra and to be a musician and, and to be a pawn in a giant chess game, you know. So it's a, a really interesting perspective to work with as a player. And he's so human, you know, he's a great sense of humour. But yeah, he's still a flute player. It always comes back down to that for me. (laughs) (laughs) And does he really bring that passion out? Because, yeah, we all know Jaime is a passionate flute player. And when when he was in many orchestral positions, certainly in London, you could you knew it was Jaime in the orchestra just by the way he played. Does he how does he bring that sort of passion out in the orchestra? Because that's the key to a conductor, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it's just who he is. He just can't help himself. It's oozing out of every pore, you know. So so he's literally it's in his voice, it's in the way he's throwing himself around the podium. <laughs> he's and it's very infectious. So, you know, you see you, I hate admitting it because I don't like giving them the power that they yeah. think they have because they actually do have it. But conductors have have an incredible influence on a, on, a, on a performer, don't they? You know, you see them move a certain way, even this little nuance of the wrist will affect the way you play something. And that's what makes it interesting and organic and 
such a brilliant thing to do with your life, you know. And so, yeah, I'm always really grateful when you get a conductor like Jaime who who makes it, reminds you why you do it. I mean, I'm not a jaded old musician by any manner or means, but there are still days where it's it can be a job, you know, and he comes in and it's not. It's just, it's all about the music and he challenges you. Don't get me wrong. He challenges me on many levels, but um, at the end of the day, uh, it's all about the music and that's why we do it, isn't it? That's it, why we do it. It is. And that, if we stay on the conductor level for the moment, is that when a conductor comes in, they've first got to be able to bring the orchestra along with them because what the conductor doesn't want to do is to turn the orchestra off by their attitude or the way they do things. I know that really should be the first lesson for conductors in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like being a doctor, isn't it? And you, your your yeah. first lesson and your major point should be in your bedside ability. Yeah, I suppose that's either a natural thing or not. I mean, people can work at it, but like doctors, some people just have it and some people don't. And it makes such a difference with a conductor, you know. But yeah, he's got it in spades. And this is turning into the Jaime Martin show. You should have interviewed him. <laughs> I won't ask you to uh, name any, but have you had some rotters of conductors that really haven't got on well with the orchestra? Oh, so many, so many. <laughs> and so many, so many younger conductors get it wrong because they're so focused on the academics of it, you know? Got and you. actually, we, we all know the academics of it too, and they forget that. So they, what they need to come in is, is be themselves with the academics and get to the academics later. And Jaime is brilliant. Here I am again, Jaime. Honestly, I'm not in love with him, I promise. <laughs> Very happily married. Oh, look, we're, we're all in love with Jaime. <laughs> but yeah, so so yeah, that's um, where they can get it wrong, can't they? They can. And it, this almost, you know the way the orchestra, it's, it's the old the old adage that the orchestra can judge the conductor from the time they walk from the stage door to the yep. podium on the first morning of rehearsal. And it's, you're usually right. It's usually right. Not always, I'll admit, but you've usually summed them up in the way that they hold themselves and the way that they engage with people as they're walking on. You can tell whether someone's genuine or whether they're really uncomfortable. And if a conductor's really uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable too. And so it's it's a tough job. I mean, I don't envy them. I would never want to do it, but it's a really tough job. Yeah, but, there's uh, there's the rewards for that. But they are, they're the narrative. They they host, yeah. they they create the story to the, the audience they, via they the orchestra as the vehicle. Yeah, they're like they're like the equivalent of social media influencers. Yeah. Aren't they? they influence us. I think that's really probably the word for me. Conductor would influence how I play something. And they could also influence my mood very positively oh, or negatively. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which in turn influences the way I would play something, of course. Yeah. Uh, and what better job to be the conductor in, in Ireland? The home of the world's friendliest people. Oh, uh, well, we're pretty nice. <laughs> Considering it rains so much, we're very nice. <laughs> it does rain loads, doesn't it? Yeah, not as much as I studied at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, and it rained more there. There's what, no doubt about it. What is, what is it about the Royal Northern College of Music where you start you start in Dublin, go to nor the Northern for the uh, Masters, then come back home again? I know. Well, I was really fortunate. You know, I went, I had an incredible teacher. Should I talk about her now? Or yeah, go on. Yeah, talk about her now. Okay. Kind of interesting because part of the reason I play I play the flute at all is down to a man who's a monk now. And you, you we were chatting about monks before we, we started recording. And yeah. yeah, it's down to a monk, which is I should really be a bit more religious than I am, maybe because of that. But anyway, <laughs> um, very, very grateful. I'm sorry when, when people bring I, that in, you, you have to yeah. laugh. I don't know how far back to go, really. but, but uh, How did it start? You know, you, you say it started with the monks. So what was it that lit the lit the fuse? 
Okay, well, I have to go back a little bit before just to give you context. But so, so when I was, I have an older brother and older sister, and they were both having piano lessons with uh, a lady in the village near us. And they used to have the lessons, uh, side, you know, one after another, and I would wait for them as well. I think it was just my parents saw the opportunity for a babysitter, to be honest. But I would be playing with toys on the ground while they were having their lessons. And I couldn't wait to start, but I was too young. So by the time I was old enough to play piano, this, this lady had moved and I ended up with a really severe lady from the Basque region of Spain teaching me piano. And I would love to have her as a piano teacher now. She would be absolutely excellent, but she was not good for kids at all. And honestly, I hated every minute, you know, from going from some, a kid who really couldn't wait to start playing music, an instrument, mm -hmm. to someone who just dreaded every lesson. Uh, which has left me with this huge awareness of how important teachers are, certainly first teachers for, for instrumentalists and, and school subjects. But yeah, so anyway, that was that. I kept up lessons for a couple of years, kept pleading with my parents to let me give up. And eventually they let me give up, which I, of course, regret now because my piano skills are understandably awful as a consequence. So yeah, so then uh, like most kids, you know, I had either in Ireland, it would be you have either recorder lessons or tin whistle lessons mm. in school, if you're lucky. Not every school has. So Sister Catherine in my nice little convent school taught us all recorder, the whole class. And uh, the Grand Old Duke of York was my tune. I remember that. I don't know why that's the one that sticks in my head. <laughs> there we are. Humble beginnings. And uh, yeah, so that was that. I was happily playing my recorder, loving just loving every every minute of it, you know, but not thinking, taking it seriously, particularly. And the parish where we lived in, my parents lived, was split in two and a new parish was created. And this young curate came in. He was at the time he was a priest uh, and he loved music. And, and the church hadn't been built yet. The masses were happening in a school hall. So he wanted to get music in there to help create, you know, more of an atmosphere. And I think he just loved music full stop. So he wanted music in the church. and. So he was went around knocking on doors in the parish. Um, he got he got names from the girl guide leader, would you believe? And my older sister played classical guitar really, really well. She she subsequently gave up, which is an awful shame because she played beautifully. And it would be really nice to play flute and guitar stuff with my yes. sister now. But there we are. Um, so if you're listening, Deirdre, you're very bold. Um, uh, yeah. So so he knocked on the door asking for my sister. And mum asked my sister and my sister was kind of 15 and, you know, studying in school and not really wanting to go out and embarrass herself doing things like that. So she 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 declined. And as my mum was shutting the door, she said, I don't suppose you want the little one. She plays the recorder. And he's, yes, I'll take anything, please. Yes, I'll take her, please. So we ended up with a motley crew. I think it was a recorder, two tin whistles, two guitars and an accordion. <laughs> Good grief. I know, exactly. I'm glad there's no recording of it. And, and a singer, obviously. But um, so as as a he to cut a long story short, he kept pestering my parents and saying that I was talented and I should be learning an instrument. And my parents wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known that I had any particular aptitude. You know, I just know, knew that I loved it. So isn't it interesting how one person can influence someone's career or or if that person didn't walk into my life? What I would have done would have been entirely different, probably, probably something medical, I think, but or languages. But anyway, there we are. And he pestered my parents every week and eventually turned up at the door with from the local paper, a flute teacher number. And, and that's how it all began. And that was she was a lovely American student who had come to Ireland for love. She'd met a nice Irish man. And uh, I had really gorgeous lessons with her in a stone cut stone cottage at the foothills of the Dublin mountains. And I adored it from day one. She just 
um, I studied with her for about a year, Danette Bennett, she was then Danette Milne, and she um, just made me love it so much. I, I really owe her everything because she made it, you know, she, she brought the joy back into music for me completely. Even though the recorder was fun, this was, this was a whole other level of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was that. But the other thing that this, this curate, now Monk, did for me was as a thank you to the, the kids he played at the Mass, he brought us to the National Concert Hall to hear the National Youth Orchestra play a concert. How old were you, how old were you at this time? I think I was maybe nine. Oh, wow. Ten, maybe. Um, and my God, that was that. That was that. I was blown away. Everything about it, like the beautiful hall, the beautiful big chandelier, the the colours of the orchestra on stage. Isn't that the most beautiful thing, looking at an orchestra? All those, the tones of the wood and the shining of the brass and the silver. It's just... Honestly, I wish I was an artist sometimes. I could paint an orchestra, but anyway, never mind the sounds they were making. I just, I looked at that and I felt every note and I thought, this is me. This is what I want. I want that. So, uh, yeah, he's totally responsible in every way. And he's now very happily a member of the community in Glenstall Abbey down in Limerick. And they chant the monks chant and he's um, living a very content and beautiful life. So I'm really happy, but he's happy. <laughs> very how, grateful to him how beautiful to actually remember that vividly as you do yeah mm. i mean if you to remember that you can remember the colors can't you the, almost the smell yeah. of the hall and yeah funnily enough though i'm not i'm not sure if i'm mixing up i think they were playing the right of spring but i'm oh, not good sure grief. if i'm mixing that For i know that's terrible but it's not terrible that i can't remember what music they played <laughs> but i just <laughs> i can't be sure because i suppose i've been to other concerts since and um, subsequently but i would have been, I, a, I would have been I a bit up... shocked if you had told me and in the first half they played this piece this piece this yeah, piece well, I suppose. you were nine you were nine it was the majest, <laughs> the majesty of the whole experience i know and and they are the irony is and now i work that's where i work yes. my office you know I'm, it's, it's really come around for the full circle but um yeah, I was incredibly grateful for that opportunity. And um, yeah, so so that's where it all started. And then I went on to study. I, I auditioned for the Royal Irish Academy of Music here and I got a scholarship to study there. So went to the amazing teacher who's uh, a legend here and elsewhere. Doris Kyo is her name. Oh, yes. Was her name. An absolutely legendary teacher. And considering Ireland is so small and Dublin particularly is so small, mm. she produced so many amazing flute players and taught and influenced so many people. And, you know, there are lots of players over there who studied with her and Eamon McDonough is the principal of the RPO and Eddie Beckett studied with yeah. her for a while. Ed, Eddie did as well, did he? Yeah, yeah. She was just incredible. She really was. I, I, I can't even imagine what she would be like now with the internet <laughs> because <laughs> she was the internet personified. You know, she yeah. would go, she would know about a book or a, a, a treatise and she'd go to the country and go to the library and read the book and get a copy of it or a facsimile and bring it back and teach you all about the ornaments. And, you know, she made all her students well, she didn't make us, that sounds terrible, but she gave us the opportunity to join a Renaissance consort, which is really out there um, in terms of experiences, but very mind-broadening and so educational. Mm. You know, we were learning music where it started from the ground up almost, some medieval stuff. I used to play the Gems horn in that, which is literally uh, a cow horn <laughs> with a sealed at one end. <laughs> uh, but it's the most beautiful sound. I mean, really atmospheric. 
now when I think about it, she used to bring us to Italy quite often to tour in the summers. Yeah, standing in the middle of a, a beautiful, I remember the Ducal Palace in Mantova, which is Mantua, which is really, you know, a historic place. And standing there in just complete silence while you're just playing this <laughs> this cow horn. <laughs> it sounds awful, but really, honestly, it's a beautiful thing. So maybe there's something on Spotify if people want to check and see. Gem's horn, it's called really gorgeous sound. Anyway, I, I sometimes think I still try to emulate these mellow sounds on the flute. No, yeah. you don't. You do self disservice. You're a beautiful. Uh, no, player. But I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm not. I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. Anyway. <laughs> and then you uh, flew over to Manchester. Yes, you see, she Doris was very uh, ambitious for her students in a very healthy way, but sometimes unhealthy, but mostly healthy. And she really challenged us, you know. And she, I remember her sending me off to the international summer schools. Do you remember those in Ramsgate? Oh, cracky! Uh, yes. Yeah. I think I was 14 when I went over to that. And Emmanuel Pau was a student, so I remember that there. And, yeah, but that was, I mean, really daunting and overwhelming for a little Irish girl, to be honest, but really good for me. So she could sort of read her students and knew what was what was making you, taking you out of your comfort zone, but was still good for you, you know. And she almost, she prepared us so much for the music world to the extent that when I actually went out into it, that it didn't seem so bad. So that was maybe a, a gift, you know, that she sort of had prepared you that it was going to be terribly difficult and people were going to be very mean. And for the most part, they weren't, you know, so. Do you know, um, that that is just a wonderful representation of almost like the perfect teacher. Didn't wrap you in, yeah. co in cotton wool. She told yeah. you the, the raw facts of life and prepared you for the inevitable. She really, really did prepare you for, for, for life as a musician. She absolutely did. And to, uh, to be honest, I'm somebody who would have needed that because I'm a, I'm a little bit of a sensitive one. You know, I can take things to heart that maybe I shouldn't. So if she hadn't prepared me that way, I probably would have collapsed, <laughs> you know, and never made it through. So she really, really did. She didn't make you as musicians. She She actually formed you, you know, in a way that really I can't thank her enough for. So... Sadly, she's not with us anymore, but she, she's always there <laughs> in the back of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, and you mentioned the American lady that came over for love. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I'm speaking to a lovely Irish lady now, and I can't not speak about normal people, can I? <laughs> the, the, the BBC and the Irish series, the most beautiful series of love between two Irish uh, an Irish girl and an Irish guy that has just sort of captivated the world. It has entirely. Had you read the book? I hadn't you... read. Oh, no, because I didn't even want to yeah. watch the program because I just thought it was a chick flick. And I yeah, watched the first one and yeah. I was just totally taken by the narrative and just this, just the depth and intensity of love and... It, just the, it just perfect if it was done in English it wouldn't have worked it was just <laughs> there was just something about it being done in Ireland yeah it was kind of Lenny Abrahamson did an amazing job it was it was kind of mesmerizing and I think what it was was the pace it's so yeah. slow paced um that I mean to be honest I read the book and pretty much hated it <laughs> so <laughs> I pretty much hated the book but um so I wasn't expecting to like the series, but yes, a friend of mine encouraged me to watch it. So I watched it and yeah, it, it's, you know what, it's rural, rural Ireland, particularly in the summers, that is the pace of life, you know, so except for the farmers, of course, you sure. know, b busy in their fields. But um, 
it's very it was interesting to watch because I actually um you meant I mentioned the Royal Northern uh, I went to study in the Royal Northern um with Trevor White which was brilliant mm-hmm. my ambitious teacher that I mentioned earlier brought Trevor over to examine for our mid-year scholarship exams when I was about you know just a year before I would have gone to college sure and that's why she was doing it you know she was such a really incredible lady very intelligent very well connected considering you know we didn't we only had telephone at this point but she knew everyone in the flute world and so she organized for Trevor to come over and examine and then after the after the performance she said right you go off and have lunch with Trevor now and talk to him (laughs) just me and Trevor (laughs) no it would never happen now so she would throw you in the deep end in in, in ways like that and yes so I subsequently then you know we went we found a nice um, vegetarian restaurant I think it was called the Runner Bean was that the Runner Bean and it was on looking onto the pitches of Trinity College which is where normal normal people is filmed and then I subsequently went over to Manchester to have an you know an advice lesson before auditioning with Trevor and really liked him but I had in the meantime because at the time believe it or not you could not study performance in Dublin in Ireland sorry at the time I know there was no performance course wow I know. In fact, it's relatively recent, really, that there is. Now there, now there are several. You can study the Royal Irish Academy. There's the Cork Institute of Music and also the, they keep changing their name, the DIT it used to be, but now it's TU Conservatoire. Um, so there are three places where you can study performance in various guises. But at the time, there weren't. And Doris was always encouraging us to leave Ireland. <laughs> she, she, lo- she loved Italy so much. She adored Italy. And um, she wanted to send us all to Italy. Um, I don't love the heat. Italy wasn't for me. But um, so she she kept encouraging us to go away. So I had because I'm a home bird. I love Ireland. I really do. I'm not going to be apologetic about that. I love it. It's a beautiful country and I feel very happy here. And I, in the meantime, had gotten a place in Trinity College to study music, pure music, uh, academic degree. And you know, there are very few places actually on that course. So you had to interview and um, do exams uh, to get a place. And I got one of, I think, six places. So I started studying pure academic music in Trinity College, where normal people is filmed. And it's honestly, I adored being in Trinity College. It's such a beautiful college. It's right in the center of the city. There's a great atmosphere. In fact, if you've watched normal people, when they walk through the archway. Yes. If if you if you turn immediately right and go in the door, that's the music faculty <laughs> right there. So there's a little little, um, little tip for anyone watching normal people. Now you know where the music students are. But yeah, so I adored that. But while I was there in my first term, I auditioned for music colleges because I realised really quickly that there was no room for performance. They 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 you know it wasn't their priority in there, and they weren't there wasn't much space for it. If you were studying your academics properly, there wasn't really the time. Uh, I tried and I managed it and I tried. Uh, and then when I got a place to study with Trevor, which is where I wanted to go, I, I was told I couldn't finish out the year in Trinity. So I had to leave at Christmas because at the time they have this wonderful scheme. It's probably still there in, in the EU when you were then in the EU. Mm. Um, we, if, we, we won't if, cover that. That's a very sore point. Yeah, I know. Let's not me. mention the war, literally. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, if I if I went to the UK to study, I would be treated as the same as a any UK student yes um, and the same would be in France or wherever and at the time there were no there were no college fees in the UK <laughs> whereas there were here 
So I was told if I finished out the year in Trinity that I wouldn't qualify for that. So I had to leave at Christmas rather reluctantly, but I knew what I wanted to do. So I just practiced. I, I, I was able to um, inveigle my way into the Royal Irish Academy of Music every day and practice all day. Like a little bit too much, like we were we were mentioning in our mm. pre-recording. Um, I think I practiced a little bit too much and maybe not the right way. And then I went happily off to, to Manchester the following autumn. If anybody, I, I don't, can't believe anyone listening to this, and there's quite a large audience that listens to this, hasn't seen normal people, <laughs> you just have to, you know, and if, if you've got a partner, then make sure the partner watches it, because yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's for both, and, you know, right at the very end, the twist, I obviously won't, I won't, I, I won't no. spoil it, but the twist I at the it. end... I found it very unsatisfying, the end. Yeah, I'm, I found it unsatisfying, because I want to know what, yeah. what happens. <laughs> what yeah. happens in the future. But, uh, but it, you see, you, for me, I'm not Irish, obviously. I almost thought I had an insight into the Irish life, you know, of a, a wealthy Irish family and a normal working class, single parent family. And the... the, 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 the the way that the guys were to keep together because the Gaelic football, yeah, and this girl was a loner and just it was almost as though I had this sort of um, bird's eye view of a moment in time. You absolutely did. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm absolutely going to agree with you there. He did a brilliant job. It really is totally representative of life in Trinity, life in in second level in schools. And the cliques you're mentioning, yeah, it was all there. But the only thing I would say is a slightly slower paced than <laughs> than real life. But <laughs> yeah, and the overwhelming, a beautiful, beautiful country. And yeah. every time I go back, not only is it beautiful country, there's beautiful people, beautiful music, and everybody claims to have a little bit of Irish in them, don't they? <laughs> Especially American people. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You briefly mentioned, and we were talking beforehand, um, practicing. You briefly mentioned that you over-practiced. I've been guilty of that in the past. And can you explain how it manifested itself with you? Well, just just to say, I definitely don't over-practice anymore. But at that point in my life, I definitely just played and played and played and played for hours. And the only benefit of that, really, I can see now, would be building up stamina. But for me, if I practice the wrong thing too much, if I practice my scales too much or my studies too much, it just impairs my tone. Yep. So for me, going to college, in fact, I mentioned the International Summer School. When I was there, I had lessons with Linda Verrier, probably very few people know. Mm-hmm. And she was, she's, I think she's still married to, hopefully, Richard Davis, who was oh. principal of BC Phil, mm-hmm. and he was my teacher as well in the Northern but she gave me the most amazing lessons and just paired everything right back to tone. She was an incredible player. I mean, she should be famous. She really should be. She's a beautiful player. So incredible technique as well. But her tone, my God, herself and Richard, you know, were equally good. That was a really good beginning at, you know, age 14 to be suddenly stripped back to how do you actually make that noise? <laughs> what are you doing with your mouth? Where is your tongue? What's your jaw doing? You know, and it's not that Doris didn't do that with me. She did, but she she maybe didn't. I needed someone to hear it from someone else. Sometimes as well, you need to hear a different perspective. So it's good to have lessons with, um, with the agreement of your teacher, with other teachers, you know, to get different perspectives on 
how you approach things because sometimes one voice can be the one that gets right through right into your brain that makes sense you know um and better that way than than not not taking something on board in your playing and getting to the point where it stops you getting uh winning a competition or getting an orchestra job you know this one thing in your playing so it's much better to take it on board when someone says it to you when you're younger um and really try and change it or fix it and especially if more than one person is saying it to you that there's an issue with your playing I'm not saying there were massive issues with my playing there weren't but you know I do I have a slightly funny mouth I have a I don't have a very natural flute embouchure, so I have to work at my tone. Um, so I'm very aware of my tone all the time. So now, obviously, in ordinary times, when you have an orchestral job, you don't have time to practice. You don't have the same time. You don't have time to over-practice, certainly. So I find my priority now is almost reverse. Like you mentioned warm-ups before. And, you know, if I'm really not a morning person, I'm a night owl, so... <laughs> And the traffic in Dublin, Dublin is marvellous, but the traffic's not great. Getting into work in the morning is a challenge and getting in early enough to do a really good warm up is definitely not something you can guarantee every day. So, yeah, I've learned to to get in and do a sort of a condensed warm up and sometimes very condensed warm up. <laughs> and, uh, That's based around get, your experience of you. You know your yeah. chops, you know your mouth, you know how you're feeling today exactly. and you know exactly what you just need to kickstart to enable you to sit down comfortably exactly and unfortunately the only way you you can learn that is is by doing it so you know until someone actually has a job or has has a chance to sit in an orchestra for a while you know it's maybe a bit mean of me to talk about it because um it's a privilege to have found that out i mean it wasn't fun at the time you know you're playing away and you realize you've lost your low register and you have to keep going the conductor's going off you go here's your solo in the low register and you don't have one you you find ways around you you you're i'm sure be, becomes very adaptable and honestly since I've had the job in the orchestra I have found sounds that I didn't realize I was capable of making and some of them are phenomenal and some of them I would never use on my own or in a solo recital but wow they work really well in the orchestra you know um, and even just just playing what being a flute player in an orchestra is such a challenge you know it's it's that's what I, I love about it you know I went went to that National Youth Orchestra concert and was blown away that was my aim in life was to do that very specifically play the flute in an orchestra, you know, and that's, I think that's unusual. A lot of flute players, it's such a solo instrument and there's such great repertoire. Most flute players want to be a soloist and sort of, you know, reluctantly accept a job in an orchestra as a compromise to make a living. But I'm still the opposite of that. I'm a little bit strange. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just relish, I relish even the painful moments in the orchestra, you know, for what it does to my playing you know what it can it can be bad for your playing there are some days if you're if you're tanking away Sibelius symphonies not my favorite not my favorite you know your tang he's written like he writes as if you were a trumpet I always feel yeah. it's, it's great music but I always feel like the flute is inadequate for what he wants to hear and the things you have to do to try and make it sound the way you can hear it in your head you know is I, I, I just love that about playing the orchestra that you have to be like a chameleon you know you can't you don't just play the flute you it's not a flute when it's in the orchestra it's 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 a sound maker you know you've I, got I, it I exactly think. right there yes yeah i can't think of the better word it's very rarely in an orchestra well, you, you play lots of solos but your mm. tonal flexibility your ability mm -hmm. to change your sound it's constantly moving, isn't it? If you're playing with the oboe, you're playing with the clarinet. Exactly, yeah. And if you want to be in tune and if you want to be heard, all those things. 
Like yeah. I remember I, I had lessons with Richard Davis because Trevor actually left while I was in college. He he left and t- set up his fleet studio in Kent. And I, I was a bit put out because I'd left my course in Trinity College in Dublin and gone to study with him. And he was he was he left and I was, hor- you know, horrified. I thought the world had ended. So I had lessons with Richard Davis. And initially we didn't really click. I think he was a bit of a thrown into it a bit reluctantly. You know, he was still working as principal in BBC Phil and very busy and maybe teaching wasn't really on his radar. But Maybe for about six months, you know, I trudged into my lessons and with a bit of an attitude, maybe not very, not very grateful. And, and then suddenly one day I had a lesson with Richard right after a symphony orchestra rehearsal in college. And I was playing first flute. I can't remember what we were playing. It could have been La Mer. And I just, you know, I'd been doing all these intensive tone exercises with Richard as well because he has such, he was such an amazing player it's such control over the flute and he does exactly what I was just talking about he can make the flute sound like like a shakuhachi you know or hollow or reedy or dark or powerful or soft he could make it do whatever he wanted so I ended up it was just such a godsend having lessons with him because he was the perfect teacher for me really you know Trevor sorted me out he was Trevor's wonderful he says if you hear someone play he says Okay, this is what's wrong with your playing. If you do this for two months and this for three months, that will be fixed. And he's always right. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's. I really respected that about Trevor, and uh, I had a really good experience with Trevor in college, so I was very grateful to him too. But yeah, Richard, I went into my lesson and I said, I just sort of threw the flute on the on the piano and said, "What is the point? What is the point of doing all these tone exercises if, when you get into the orchestra, you can't use that tone?" Because you have to play above it to be in tune with the violin or you have to lip it down to be in tune with the clarinet. What is the point? You know, and we had this amazing lesson and he he saw me for the first time and I saw him for the first time. You know, it was just a bit of a revelatory lesson. And from then on, it was I brilliant lessons with him and he helped me so much. So, yeah. you, so you step out of the orchestra and you're playing a solo with the piano. Do you feel free? Or do you feel sort of kind of semi-naked? Yeah, I feel like a duck out of water. I'm not, I don't love playing solos. I don't love playing concertos. And and I tend not to play recitals that often for a flute player. But yeah, I mean, if I'm ever invited to, of course I do. And I would, I would actually getting to the point where I'd like to do it a bit more. I've done some with... Uh, the lovely, uh, wonderful pianist here, Finian Collins. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a great pianist. And yeah, I always enjoy playing with him because he's such such a fantastic musician, such a fantastic person, you know. So when you have that collaboration um, style event, then yeah, I love playing recitals. Concertos, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable. When you're used to sitting in the middle of the orchestra and suddenly you have to stand in front of it, it is it is a change in mindset. Yeah, the last few times I've done concertos of the orchestra, I've really enjoyed them. The first time I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. Yeah. And are you still looking for your voice? Or is it, do you think it's a lifelong search or are you just happy with... Oh God, I'm never happy. I'm never happy. I think that's good to never mm. be totally content with what you're doing. I think it's also good to acknowledge when you are happy with what you've played or how you've played. But um, no, I'm on the eternal quest for the perfect, beautiful sound. <laughs> we never really completely achieve it, do we? But there are there are moments and pieces and moments on days where you just think, oh, yes, that's it. Yeah, but um, you're Irish. You have a head start. You get born with a flute. Every one of you comes out of the womb with a flute. <laughs> you have a head start over the rest of us. I don't know if that's true. But yeah, we also have... We also have 
Jimmy Galway oh. over our heads. You know, I get into a taxi anywhere in the world and I say, <laughs> I find the same day, oh, James Galway, you know, so, uh, and he's wonderful. Of course, he's another reason why I play the flute. I, I, I think the first record I bought was Which one? A, sing, a single of Annie's song. Ah, but my... I preferred the I preferred the B side. It was the Drigo Serenade. It was. I, yeah, it was lovely. I think I mine was Showpieces or Magic Flute on album. Okay, I have the books, but I didn't have the records. No, yeah. I have some LPs of his. I should get them, sign them. But yeah, yeah you should do. I, see I should totally do that. Well, yeah. yeah, he's the reason me and millions of others took up the instrument. All his fault. No, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, Sir James. <laughs> um, so what is no, your... he's always so kind as well because he's he's worked with the orchestra a few times playing concertos. You know his latest one with Bill Whelan, we recorded with him, and he's always so kind. He he, you know, I was walking in and he was there in the corridor with with Jeannie, and he he had he said, oh hang on, hang on, hang on. This was in the morning before the rehearsal. He said, take this, take this, and he went in and he grabbed a gold head joint for me to play oh. for the day. You know, and like it nearly killed me because it didn't fit in my flute, so I couldn't <laughs> play it. But and then we were backstage in Limerick, I think. I think in fact the premiere of that concerto was in Limerick in the University Concert Hall and he said come on come backstage come back about come on and he said here play my flutes which was the meanest thing anyone has ever done to me yeah was, he let me play all of his beautiful perfect gorgeous flutes and then I had to walk back and I've got a lovely flute I do I play on a Brannan mm-hmm. um uh, I bizarrely have a platinum head on a silver flute which is unusual I know and consequently, the barrel is made to fit a platinum head joint, so it does limit me in terms of changing my head joint. But um, cool, that must I would... be a rocket. Well, yeah, I love it. I mean, I would have gone for full platinum, except it's just so heavy mm. and expensive, but heavy uh, for the orchestra for every day. It just it wasn't going to work. So yeah, I compromised with and um, got got some advice from the people in Brannan. Is, is it an old yeah. Brannan? One of the old ones it's, for Bic? It's Bic was around, or not? The, I'm, I don't think it's that old. No, I'm trying to remember how long I've had it. <laughs> Goodness, <laughs> well, it's, it's probably about t- nearly twenty years old now. Yeah, ah, yeah that, that was in the good, new one. That was in the good days when Bickford yeah. was there. Uh, yeah, certainly had a great reputation at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what is your favourite recording done as a flutist? Or flautist, or flute player, or fluterer. We won't get into this. I I have this little dialogue with people, because if if ever I call, say the word flutist, I always upset the Brits or the South Africans. There's there's, there's this sort of ley line that goes down the globe where it's got to be flautist, and yet you've oh, cost... like flute player, flute yeah. player kind of thing. Yeah. Some people take flutist, it so personally. You see, flautist feels very strange to me as an Irish person. It yeah. feels we would never you know use words like that over here <laughs> yeah, you would have said fluterer or something wouldn't you no we just say well people do say flautist but um yeah i would say flute player probably mostly but i don't mind anything call me any name you like <laughs> so what's <laughs> not, your favorite what's your favorite recording of you playing of me playing oh my yeah, god yeah probably in the orchestra oh, or out see, of the orchestra uh, that's a really really tough question i mean there are there are performances i've done that I don't have recordings of okay. that I would love to have. That You know, you were just saying, are you ever happy? Where I was really happy. I remember we were, it was just a lunchtime concert, so it would have been broadcast on the radio, so there is a recording somewhere, but I don't actually have it. And it's just very simply the 4 a van. But I was just, you know, the way you have those golden days yep. where the flute does exactly what you want it to do <laughs> and your mouth is cooperating and everything is just falls into place and all the practice is worth it. It was one of those. And I was just right in the center of the tone and I was getting 
this gorgeous hollow tone that I was aiming for and it was projecting and it wasn't flat. <laughs> and yeah, so that was that was something I would really like to have a recording of actually. Oh, of all the pieces. Um, of really... I know, isn't it funny? Yeah. But I do use that in my warm-up. Like I do the old classic Trevor Y warm-ups with the yep. harmonics. And now I do, I love Stephen Clark's warm-up in his new book, The Flute Chin. Yeah, which one? Which one do you um, like? The warm up to the beginning. Oh, I, I just got absolutely you. Yeah. love it. Da 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 dee dee. That one. Yeah. Um, and then go so through I different adore keys. that. Yeah, it really suits me because um, it's melodic and uh, I like his approach to saying, you know, don't try, just just do what your mouth does. Yeah. But yet it's a melody, so you don't really, you can't. It's very hard to just let your mouth do what it does. You want to shape it, so I find that interesting to to start off the day not engaging your armature too much you know to sort of just see where your mouth is that day yeah that's I, the kind of thing i call it honking honking <laughs> like the first note the first few notes always honks yeah okay fair enough <laughs> in my case it's more than the first few notes each day but yeah but it's true it's like it's like you know starting off with just starting the note with the air as well just to see where your mouth you're you know bring it right back to where you're actually your mouth is doing that day yeah, we never stop analysing, do we? I mean, no. Do you think we, as flute players, analyse too much rather than just letting letting it be? As you said, with, yes. with that foray, the foray pavan, mm. something happened that day. It wasn't uh, totally in the zone, but everything, yin and yang, were in balance. Everything was just there. Yeah, and absolutely. There was. An, I had another one at Salome. We did Salome, and I remember, I remember just feeling like I was flying while I was playing it. And just those moments are so few and far between when you think about how many concerts you played. But that's, you know, it's just so, that's so invigorating and, and it, you know, reminds you why you do it. And it just brings you to another place. It's just such, it's such a privilege to have a job in an orchestra when you can experience that, isn't it? It's, I feel, I feel guilty saying it out loud because there are people thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. But, uh, you know. You, you work damn hard and you you got the job and you should never feel guilty lady. <laughs> right i've got a very hard question for you now okay if you had to choose a piece of music which you feel represented you as a musician what would it be and why oh i might need time to think about this one yeah goodness gracious so i'm sure if you ask jimmy it'd be something like danny boy or something wouldn't it yeah it always brings it back to irish airs are so beautiful yeah we have an instrument here called the low whistle, which mm -hmm. is, um, it's like a tin whistle, but it's like a, maybe the alto flute equivalent in a whistle. And it's just gorgeous thing to listen to. You know, I think I'm always drawn to that kind of pitch, like alto flute, low whistle, you know, something that isn't even, even flute d'amore, you know, it's oba d'amore, anglais. It's funny that I play such a treble instrument. I, I also, also would love to play the cello and I never have. Yeah, I'm always trying to bring those sonorities into the flute my flute playing so maybe that isn't something that every flute player would would agree with or like but that I feel I'm always trying to bring warmth and mellowness into my tone so a, be and, a beautiful Irish air that would yeah there's there's one called my lag and love that's uh, and, and James Galway plays it and I think he did an arrangement with Phil Coulter so there's a there is sheet music available for that that's beautiful wow that's a really tough question it I is. Know it I, normally unlocks people, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I can think about what I love playing. Okay. Which isn't the same thing necessarily, no, it's is not. it? But no. Yeah. Haydn's creation. I oh, love yeah. that flute part. I mean, that's so beautiful. And there's a part of me that's very pure and optimistic, and that would personify that, I suppose. 
<laughs> there's also you know we're all complex beings so yeah. i suppose if you're it depends what facet of my personality i'm trying to represent i would pick different music or what yes, mood i'm absolutely. in absolutely <laughs> yes yeah no indeed uh but i would say i i saw you on instagram playing at the alto flute the other day and beautiful oh you're too kind absolutely well, where did you get that, that sound Oh, it's it's one of your treasures. I know, you but, my, altos. but yeah, but it does have to work for you. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, a, just... it's literally a tube. It's the person behind it that actually makes oh, the no, sound. Oh no, it's not. It's not. It's it's the tube as well. The tube makes such a difference. That, they're so they're so free blowing. They're fantastic. Good grief, though! It's absolutely beautiful. I love the alto. It's just something about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Right before we came on air, we were talking about coffee. And tea. Yes. <laughs> now I'm not a coffee drinker. Sorry, <laughs> I have, yeah. you're such a coffee drinker. I am such. Yeah, it's my one of my very few addictions. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> very few weaknesses, my lady. Uh, but you have a similar addiction, but to tea. To tea, I'm. I'm not going to say I'm. I'm a connoisseur. I know everything about it. But I. I. My. My little treat on a, especially on a on a weekend morning, but especially a Saturday morning, because we nearly always normally have concerts on a Friday evening. Uh, so Saturday morning would be, I've, I've deliberately not taken on any teaching. Um, that would mean I'd have to teach on a Saturday. So I have my Saturday morning is my, you know, absolutely reserved for me time. And yeah, I leaf tea. It's leaf tea is my thing, you know, and I, I have researched all it's, I mean, I'm not, you know, I go to France, we sometimes go to France on holidays and beautiful country and their tea world is just magnificent. But I, I, I like black tea. And I, actually, when you go into a tea shop in France or, or a French tea shop in London or Dublin, you know, a lot of their teas aren't black teas. They're, you know, herbal or whatever. But yep. I like I like black tea and uh, Earl Grey tea and different types of it. There's a wonderful shop in Dublin called Wall and Kyo. And when you're next year, I'll bring you there because they also make coffee. <laughs> 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 yes, we have to do our, our little... Um, our, our coffee crawl of Dublin. Absolutely. Yeah. I promised you one. So so next time you're here, it might if you if you're only allowed two coffees a day or something, you were no, mentioning. So it hundreds. might take a week. So make sure you're here for a week. But yeah, so I have a kettle now that boils water to different temperatures so that I can get the because the, the good tea manufacturers tell you what temperature water to use to get the best flavour. So it's a little bit like overanalyzing our flute playing, isn't it? Overanalyzing my tea and the temperature of the water. But, but it makes a difference. It does it make does. a difference. Oh, it definitely does. You can stew your tea. You can burn your tea. It's, it's not that I know everything about it, but it's just the flavor of leaf tea is so much nicer. And it's my, my weekend treat. You know, I don't tend to do it during the week at all. So there we are. Well, I think I mentioned I'm not really a great tea drinker, but I found this tea by Maison Fondi. And mm, it is, nice. it's called milk, Milky Blue. Milky Blue. Milky okay, Blue. Okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, Te Bleu en Vertin en Riche Parfum Lacté, which seductive blue tea with a rich milky note. Very nice. And I can drink it as though I'm drinking a milky tea. It's beautiful. Yeah, I must try that. Thank you for the tip. <laughs> ah, I'll send some bags over to you, my lady. <laughs> so what's the rest of the year got in store for you uh, hopefully the orchestra is going to be back mm. and you'll be doing uh, autumn concerts and christmas concerts yeah it's a very strange time for orchestras isn't it the answer to your question i don't really know yet because we're not we're going to be starting back our season at the moment we're being told hopefully in september mm -hmm. um obviously the programming has had to change because we're not 
allowed to have so many people on the stage. Um, they there won't be an audience. In fact, our National Concert Hall um, announced last week that, in fact, but well, by now I shouldn't have said that because this is going out in October, isn't it? Um, so I will know in October whether or not we've had concerts. But anyway, yeah, the concert hall announced before the summer that they weren't going to be open opening for um, commercial concerts. So basically someone, you know, an opera company can't book the concert hall and have a concert there. So in other words, they're not opening to audiences. Uh, certainly um, that may change, hopefully. But yeah, so we won't have an audience, but we will be live streaming. Uh, our concerts are all, always live streamed anyway uh, on the website. I work for the RTE National Symphony Orchestra, which is, here's a bit of Irish, Radio Television Erin, which is Radio Television Ireland in Irish. It's the equivalent of the BBC yep. in, in Ireland. And they broadcast our concerts on the radio. They have a classic FM equivalent is Lyric FM here. They broadcast our concerts and it's also on the website, the RTE website. So we're used to live streaming. That's that's not unusual or different. But getting access to the hall has been difficult because they have their own problems, of course. And the guidelines, you know, before the summer were saying you could have indoor performances or indoor gatherings of 100 people. But that included staff and technicians and ushers. Yeah. So actually, you know, it's been a really challenging time um, as to whether financially it would be viable for for venues to open so yeah i mean i'm very fortunate to have a job in an orchestra but it's really really frustrating not to be able to be making it has been really frustrating not to have been able to make music with with my colleagues in because rte are being really careful and looking after us very well the health and safety people are extremely good and they won't let us gather <laughs> indoors to play. So there, there have been a couple of outdoor things, but but really what the musicians did, and I think most in most cases across the world, musicians, if they were able to, if they weren't furloughed, have been getting together or making videos in their homes and putting them together. And we're at the point, we also actually getting together in reality. In fact, when we're recording this, I'm, I'm going to meet our principal cello and we're going to sit in a recording studio that my husband owns, thankfully, um, and play together, record some uh, Glee Air duos. So just to see how that goes, which is great. I can't wait. I can't wait to play with a person. I've been really lucky. You know, I got, I uh, did a couple of concerts, uh, live streaming, no audience whatsoever. The Bach Suite. I played the Bach Suite with Beautiful. just a quartet. Yeah. And it was amazing. But it was the first concert literally I had done in four months. <laughs> So it was, you know, you felt everything. You felt all the adrenaline. You felt, even though there was no audience, it's really interesting. Even driving driving in in the car to go and rehearse, you, you forget how much adrenaline goes, what, what you put your body through, really, in our career. It becomes normal. But when you've had a break from it, you really feel it. And part of that is wonderful. And part of that is slightly terrifying, you know, slightly scary to think what we do to our bodies and our minds. You know, you're great for that. Thanks for your mindful flutist. It's very, <laughs> it's very helpful some days, I have to say. It was really great to to actually play with real people, you know. Again, that's what I miss. You miss the, you know, I, I made a video with our harpist and we did the Bizet on track, but it was so limited because she was in her garden, I was in my garden, and my husband thankfully has Pro Tools and stuck it together for us. But, you know, you couldn't use rubato, and there was there was no give and take. You had to just stick to the metronome. Yeah. <laughs> really, that's just the polar opposite of what we want to be doing as musicians. So I can't wait get, wait to get back to it for real, like most of us.
because making music is not only a very personal thing to the musicians making it, but it becomes intensely personal to somebody listening. Because during lockdown around the world, I challenge anyone to say they weren't listening to music. And during happy times and during sad times, during times when we're remembering moments in our lives, music brings that back to us. And really, what is life without music? I know, and that has been so wonderful because I, for one, I don't know about other flute players, but I, for one, sometimes question how important or how important my contribution to, to the world is. You know, I kind of feel like I'm having a lovely time and sometimes it's really hard and challenging and you think, why do I do this? And and you can forget, I, my sister's a doctor and, you know, she's saving people's lives. And I often, I've had this conversation with her and she 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 says, but Katrina, you don't you don't understand how much it means to people to listen to music, you know, what, where it brings them. It's really important. And, you know, because she's my sister, I think, oh, she's just saying that, you know, but this has really reinforced in my mind that actually we do make a difference, you know, and maybe when you're part of an orchestra, it's a little bit harder to accept that because you feel like it's not you personally making the difference, but uh, collectively musicians can, can improve people's lives. And that's really a fantastic gift to be given that you're giving a gift to someone else, you know, uh, it sounds like, yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, We Irish are very bad at um, promoting ourselves and uh, saying when we do things well, so for the most part. So I, I don't like saying, oh, I'm wonderful, aren't I great? I, I don't mean to sound like that at all. I'm just, it has actually forced me to realise that people appreciate what I do, what we do as musicians. Um, I just wish politicians appreciated, appreciated it as much. Oh, <laughs> You're leading into a minefield now, aren't you? Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I suppose it's a bit like sport, isn't it? In that um, when a national team is doing well, the nation comes together. When musicians and when music is being played that connects with an audience, everybody comes together. And the, I think it's the people such as politicians who are driven by ideology and dogma and don't necessarily understand the wider context, which is the community and what drives the community. And if you're to take music out of the community, you take the lifeblood. You take yeah. sport out of the community, you take the lifeblood. And when we're in danger of becoming robots, and if you take music out of a film, I, I would... I oh, would, I know. Yeah, it, it's not the same. And it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. yeah, And also really a bad soundtrack can ruin a film. <laughs> <laughs> it can. Yeah. And, and that's my whole point about the whole thing about lockdown is that we've taken big steps to help many industries come out. I understand that. But one of the major factors of people being, to get, being able to get through this has been listening to music. And, you know, it's largely around the world musicians seem to have been forgotten by establishment who still say that... Uh, if you play the flute, you've got to stand three miles away because your air's coming too far over. You're starting me off on a weird one now, but I'm hope <laughs> I'm hoping really. that uh, the world for musicians, because they're having a rough time at the moment, can return to some form of semblance and normality and that we can really understand the beauty, not only of the music making, but of the the wonderful, wonderful players that are there making music. God, I hope so. Here, here. <laughs> You're here. Yeah. Oh, thank you for taking time out this morning, my lady. You've oh, been so thank you. Generous. It's been lovely.
I could keep talking to you for hours. Oh, <laughs> and I could talk to you for hours or two. But I'll, when, next time I'm over, I'm over in Dublin. I'll, yeah, uh, absolutely. No, uh, you're, on to. Oh. you're on for that coffee crawl. You're on for that coffee crawl. I'll have lo- you caffeinated to the hilt. Oh, you've, you've got me in one, my lady. You've got me in one. <laughs> so wishing you a beautiful day ahead. Thank you. And you. Oh, the same. Yeah, it's lovely and sunny here, so uh, I'll probably go for a walk. I'm go- we're going for lots of walks at the moment, myself and my husband. We're- we went for a 30-kilometre cycle the other day, which was a bit painful. <laughs> How was your bum afterwards? Very sore. Yes. Very sore. Yes, no doubt about it. But yeah, and it's going to be grey here now, but I'm going to be in a studio anyway for the afternoon, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I hope that you come out of that studio just thinking, well, actually realising what power you have within your hands, not only to make music yourself, and make so that you gel and that you your soul opens up, but also the difference you make to people like me and other people that are sat listening. Oh, what a lovely wish for me. Thank you. That's the nicest thing I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> and Oh, Katrina, where can we people find you on social media? Well, um, yes, I am Catty Flute on Instagram, and I am Cat Ryan on Facebook. And really popular. And I also... I also play in a wind quintet called Cassiopeia Winds, and we're on Twitter. Pop along, say hi. She is Two. a lovely, lovely player, but also <laughs> she has a bit of mischief in her. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the Irish. I, actually, I was presenting at a concert. There's a wonderful series here um, called Kaleidoscope Nights, and it's a really eclectic mix of different performing. You have jazz, and you have traditional, and you have dance, and all kinds of stuff. And it's in a basement bar by the by the canal, and. It's just got a great atmosphere and the audience are right on top of you with their little tables and their candles and their drinks. And it's just a great atmosphere. And I love playing it. And I was introducing, I was playing Telemann duos with my principal oboe colleague, Matthew Manning. And I was introducing, but I'm, I get a bit cheeky. And um, when I'm comfortable in that kind of situation, I was being a bit cheeky. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, you had an imp on your shoulder there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was lovely. Little Irish imp on my shoulder. Yeah, I definitely have one of those. Oh, wonderful. Well, I hope the imp is out later. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you again, Katrina. Lovely talking to you. Thank Thank you. you. And wishing you all a wonderful musical week ahead, whatever it is you may have planned. And may your top B come out smoothly (laughs) and in tune. (laughs) Goodbye, all. Bye-bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.